Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Highway to Hell. Highway to Hell, Charlie and Rachel are on their way to Las Vegas to elope. To avoid being d- discovered, they take a seldom used back road that also happens to contain a secret portal to hell. Rachel, played by Christy Swanson, is kidnapped by a hell cop that pulled them over, and Charlie, played by Chad Lowe, needs to enter hell to save her. Screenplay by Brian Helgeland, directed by Ate de Jong, and released in Germany on July 4th, 1991. I know you've heard of this movie because of our previous episodes, but have you seen Highway to Hell before? No. Me either. I've never even heard of this movie until... Until we covered Drop Dead Fred, pretty yeah. much? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same here. Which is weird, because this has, this has a huge cast in it. This is like Motorama levels of cameos, almost. Yeah, and then... I was thinking about the same thing as Motorama. Why, why was this not on USA Up All Night? Yeah. This... this is like another cult B-movie classic that I would see. I mean, if we were to do like a, any sort of... Well, like guest movie. programming or something? Yeah, <laughs> any sort of like <laughs> movie uh, programming, I would do a double feature of Motorama and then Highway to Hell. Yeah, for a, for a while I got it confused and I thought it was the same director who did Motorama because they are so similar in, in a lot of different ways. But uh, it's it's not. The director is also the same one who did Drop Dead Fred, which is right. how we... Apparently they got the job directing Drop Dead Fred from the producers seeing their work on this because this was shot back in 1989 Mm -hmm. but didn't release until 1991 overseas and then it came to the US home video market in 1992 Um, but apparently somewhere along the way it kind of passed along a bunch of hands and I see a lot of similarities in terms of like tone and approach to this between Drop Dead Fred and, and Highway to Hell it's they're both in that weird mix of serious and comedic realm yeah where it doesn't really know what it wants to be i mean it clearly wants to be funnier um but there are way too many serious parts that kind of take you out of the comedic aspect and vice versa yeah it's trying i don't know it's trying to be weird like Twin Peaks type weird but like it's trying to be like that type of David Lynchian weird but it doesn't really do it yeah Motorama gets that 
But I feel like Motorama is more in that sort of culty, weird, dry type of sense of humor. Yeah, this is trying to be satirical at times. Yeah, but some of the satire we didn't get. Like, I know there was a couple of times we had to look up why are they doing this. Like, the scene where people are dressed up as Andy Warhols. Yeah. I mean, which which is weird because that's part of one of the best jokes in the movie at the same time. So, in Hell, there's basically like a Mad Max landscape where it's mostly just barren desert and then you have a couple buildings here and there yeah. that stuff happens at. Along the way in this road, you see these people who are creating the road through a um, good intentions paving company. Mm-hmm. So that's like a good little play on words. And you see these people in line who are saying, oh, well, I just committed this sin because of this reason. You know, like I had a good reason for doing what I did. Um, you know, I was trying to save this orphan by doing this other terrible thing you know stuff like that yeah still it's sinners like, i didn't stop my son from drinking bleach because it would teach that my son a lesson yeah type yeah. of thing silly stuff like that where you i know, mean that was funny their yes. their reasons and then they're like okay well you're gonna die now because yeah, then they just, then show they just them. step forward and they get crushed into the pavement so they're paving the road with good intentions literally <laughs> um but their workers are all dressed up like andy warhol and but, we're like, why? <laughs> yeah, that, that, I was like, I mean, would people have gotten that 30 years ago? Because I still don't, like, I, we looked it up, and I didn't real, like, I don't know, I, Andy Warhol is one of my favorite artists, and it's, I didn't you realize. Didn't either, yeah. I mean, I don't see him as being a super religious person. But apparently that's why it was done, is to sort of comment on his... But was that known 30? Like, At least to the filmmakers. Okay. Maybe it was meant to be sort of like this thing, like, okay, well, why? And then have you look it up. I don't know. To me, it was like South Park, Bigger, Longer, Uncut in 1999, where you have a bunch of, you know, when Kenny's going to hell for the first time, you see a bunch of celebrities swirling around and, you know... It felt like that to me, where it's like, okay, you're commenting on something that they've done in the past. Like, you have George Burns in there because he played God, and you're not allowed yeah. to play God. You know, so, like, stuff, like, weird little commentary like that. I thought maybe there was something in Andy Warhol's artistic history that would like, lead to that. Like, ra- mm, barely. Don't I don't... So, I don't know. But I don't know. I'm not, like, a historical... <laughs> expert on Andy Warhol. No, but I, I think that scene is a good example of how, you know, there's like it was, good elements of comedy mixed in with But we head just scratching. didn't get it. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it was meant to be that way or if it was kind of like um, like an inside joke with the director and whoever he made it for. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like he meant it for. And I wish I, I had more information about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. I, if this... I mean, I know it's available on, you know, like VHS, DVD, Blu-ray type of formats, and so maybe there's some commentary. I'm just really curious to know how... Yeah, I like, would like this a... and also Motorama, like, gets all of their people to, you know, like, where are these cameos coming from? Why did the, like, entire Stiller family decide to be in this movie? I mean, I, th- <laughs> I like looked that, that up, and I oh, okay. and the reason... 
Well, it's the supposed reason was Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira knew that their Ben and Amy mm-hmm. wanted to become actors or just yeah actors so they were like let's bring our whole family into this movie so we can all get the beginnings of their like acting career that's weird because i feel like ben was established enough at this point he has done stuff before but he didn't really start getting established until maybe around this this time because he did his own show the ben stiller show exactly yeah he had been on snl he had done the Ben Stiller show, for which he won an Emmy. Yeah, but that wasn't exactly... I think it was in 92, 93 is when he finally became more well-known. Like, yeah, with Reality started, Bites and stuff. Yeah, like Reality that. Bites and, like, Cable Guy shortly after that. Long story short, Ben Stiller's in this movie. He plays a cook outside of a, a diner where uh, <laughs> he's cooking on the sidewalk outside of the diner and he's trying to get people to eat his stuff as he you know clearly he's just cooking on the floor and it's it's this weird weird character and he's very oh my gosh he he just non-stop talks and he's clearly playing it dumb and it's it's a it's a weird goofball character and this is the only 1991 movie that ben stiller is in so uh, but then he also plays another role he also, yeah, he also plays in another role as Attila the Hun. This is, yeah, full of people who, like, you know, this is virtually, like, their only 1991 um, movie. So, it's, yeah. Ben Stiller's probably the most notable one because of all of his accomplishments since then with, you know, Severance and Escape of Dunamora and Greenberg and whatnot. And he also has probably the most MTV movie award wins and nominations out of anyone we've talked about so far. Yeah. Like, he has, he's a Generation Award winner back in 2009 from that thing. Uh, he won the Best Fight for Something About Mary, won Best Comedic Performance for Meet the Parents, Best Villain in Dodgeball, nominated for things like Night of the Museum, Tropic Thunder, uh, Dance Sequence and Along Came Polly, uh, several nominations for Zoolander. So, I mean, you know, he's, he's done a bunch of stuff, as you all know. And this is his only 1991 movie appearance. Um, but he's also, yeah, he's there as Attila the Hun, in Hoffa's Casino, that's another random location that they go to, which is a really cool set piece. I mean, you know, the exterior the sets are thing cool. that they do. And I was wondering how they did that. Like, especially the um, the casino bar place that they go to, or their, the club. I don't know. It's like a casino club? Yeah, there's a bunch of, like, go-go dancers in cages, and casino but the stuff the exterior is really cool yeah the exterior i think is probably just like a miniature that they did a composite image of but it, it's like this giant statue of hoffa basically above the thing and his gun is acting like the slot machine lever and all across his chest has you know hoffa or i, I love, love hell, hell and things <laughs> like that on it too it changes its message as the slot machine goes so it's really neat um how they do some of these things and so Attila the Hun, played by Ben Stiller, is sitting there with Cleopatra, played by Amy Stiller. That's where she appears in this movie. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you also have Gilbert Gottfried as Hitler. Yes. And he's... I wish you could hear what he was saying, because he's talking, like, the entire time in the background while the actual scene is playing. And occasionally you hear, like, a 
couple random things that he's discussing, but for the most part, you don't really hear most of his jokes or his comments and, you know, all the stuff that he's rambling on about as Hitler and mm-hmm. Attila the Hun and Cleopatra are trying to tell him basically, like, shut up, get over it um, the entire time. So, interesting cameo. It just it wasn't as effective as I wanted it to be because they couldn't really hear anything. Yeah, and we also couldn't use the closed caption, which... Yeah, Tubi doesn't have closed captioning for this movie, which is weird. So that's how we watched it. Maybe it is available through digital rental in other ways, so maybe that would have a captioning. Right, that's kind of... I mean, we we have to watch everything closed captioning because we, we're gonna forget thing or some stuff like some stuff helps. we just can't hear it just helps we're the we're the type of we watch closed captioning like for everything it. It, you like know, absolutely sometimes, everything there's there's sometimes where you know the the dialogue is too quiet that you don't always know that people are fully talking yeah in the way that you're supposed to hear it but well, there's the people talking over up. each other where yeah. you want to know what each person says yeah so we prefer to watch it that way, um, and there was nothing available, so we didn't catch everything, but we'll see Gilbert Gottfried a couple more times. Uh, actually, no, I'm sorry, just one more time. Problem Child 2. Yeah, we've there. seen him before. We've seen him before as uh, the host of Haywire, Yes. which is not on his IMDb credits, but, um, you know, everybody knows Gilbert as well. I also saw that his... In 2000, I've never even heard about this show, but this is a comedy TV series on Netflix. In 2019, Gottfried reprised his role as Adolf Hitler in a series called Historical Roasts. I'm not familiar with it. It was on Comedy Central, but I've I've Um. never heard it, but it's also on Netflix, and I just never heard about it but it's people doing you know historical like they're roasting abraham lincoln or something like that Mm, that's the first episode and he reprises his role roasting whoever it was only six episodes and i don't know which one he was in it just said that he reprised his role as hitler in one of these episodes yeah, I never heard of it either. So, if it's yeah, on I've Netflix... never. It's on Netflix. I just yeah, I never heard, and I think they only did this these six episodes, and that was it. But man, I don't know. We knew him in nineteen ninety one from USA kind of like Boy, a yeah, so. kind of like a drunk history. I think this yeah, is kind of like a it sounds like a drunk history the, type of thing. And Comedy Central really likes to hammer home the roasts. Yeah, that was their bread and butter for a little while. Um, but yeah, if Anne Mira and Ben's, I'm sorry, and, and Jerry Stiller are also in that, that same diner, Pluto's. So Anne Mira is the, the waitress who, a lot of people just don't stop talking in this. Like, Anne Mira is going off on this big, huge monologue that's... I don't even know what I she was talking I about. <laughs> I, I, I don't think you're supposed to at times. Yeah, people are talking over each other, and like, most of the time there's an actual scene that's happening while this background character is talking. That happens multiple times in this movie. And Amira is one of those situations. And she's trying to talk to 
Jerry Stiller is trying to talk to her. He is playing one of the many cops in this donut slash diner shop place. And he's desperately trying to get coffee and he can't get word in edgewise. And... Yeah, everyone is bombarding him and I can't, I still don't know why. Bombarding him? The cop. The hell cop. The hell cop, yes. Because... I think it's because Jerry's he has a live a human, human. And they want her, like, they, they're kind of like zombies and they want her to, like, eat her or... Possibly. I mean, the movie does not explain the lore of things very well. So or we, is it... Because we learn later on that the hell cop is specifically trying to find virgins to bring to the devil. Yeah, so do they and so know... maybe that's what all of the cops are supposed to be doing, and so they're trying... Bringing virgins to the devil, and then and so does he get, like, a, get the credit. an incentive or something? I and I feel like the hell cop is the superior cop out of all the cops. Yeah, he clearly is. He's, like, the one that everyone's actually afraid of, and he's yeah. the one that's doing stuff. In fact, most of those cops have been in the diners so long that they have spider webs and stuff all over them. It's a really good introduction to Hell because you get a lot of good costume and makeup work in that scene uh, with all the different cops with various different states of decay and, and gross prosthetics and whatnot on there. Yeah, I like... And Jerry Stiller's the only one that looks normal. Yeah, that, which was... I didn't realize he was a cop until I saw the credits, basically. Oh, yeah, I, he had the uniform on. It was just like an old, old-timey cop Until uniform. Until he zapped away. Yeah. Yeah. But the cool... I like the time cops handcuffs, because they're literal hands that squeeze you around. Hell cop. Hell, hell cops handcuffs. Yes, you said time cop. Time cop. It's a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Different movie. Different year. Yeah. I like the hell cops handcuffs. Because they're literal hand cuffs. They squeeze around your wrists or around Rachel's wrists and just won't let go. But she spills hot coffee over them and they, you know, they react. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Thing from... Adam's family. Adam's family, you know, that type of, like, I don't know, it makes the that type of expression, hand expression, like, ow, I've been burned, and yeah. it drops, and then she's running away. It's so, yeah, that, that's sort of our first scene in Hell. What leads us there is, is a weird situation. I don't understand why Charlie and Rachel are so afraid of cops in the real world, though. They don't explain this at all. They just say that they're going to elope in Vegas and that they're not telling anybody. They're not supposed to tell anybody, except Rachel did tell the mom. And so now all of a sudden, Charlie is really afraid of every single cop that he sees, that he's going to get busted and arrested for going to Vegas to elope, which is not illegal. So like, the, the whole premise of them taking the back road was to... and avoiding the cops doesn't make sense. Avoid the cops. Yes, but it doesn't make sense. It's like why would they know unless Yeah, who's going to be on the hunt for oh, two kids who might want to get married. Yeah, unless what are they like 17? Like they're not a lot. Uh, that's what I, I was confused. 
with I was confused with that. <laughs> like, why is he so afraid of cops unless she was, like, going against his will? Yeah, which isn't the case. Yeah, I know. They yeah. both agreed upon it. It's just that the parents don't know that they're Or unless they married, ran away supposedly. together and he didn't tell his parents, so his parents are probably like, my son's missing, and he thinks the parents have called the cops to try to get him back. But we never know they, at all. They don't explain it, but he has a big fear of cops. At one point, there's a cop that follows them, and he thinks it's intentional, but it's not, and all this kind of stuff. And it's just So he pulls off to this gas station and decides to take the back way instead of the main interstate, and that's when he meets Richard Farnsworth Sam. playing yeah. Sam. And um, I don't know... It, that creates a, this whole situation where Sam is this guy who knows what's going on. He understands what they're about to head into. He warns them. And there's a couple times in this movie where it does the cliched thing where they're driving off and he's yelling a very key piece of information to them and they don't hear it because they're driving off. Mm-hmm. So he's basically saying, don't stop in between these two Joshua trees because that's where the bad stuff happens and in essence it's like you know if yeah. you're gonna pull over make sure you pass pull, this other tree yeah, first the second tree <clears throat> it turns out that they don't do that um because they're falling asleep and he wakes up behind the wheel and you know swerves to avoid things and crashes and he's crashing in between the two trees and yeah and the helicopter helicop appears, appears and... immediately so, but there's another part where, so he only, there's three people, well, two people and a dog in the car. You got Rachel, who's now been captured by Hellcop. You have um, Charlie, who is beaten by Hellcop, right? Sort of, yeah. Basically knocked unconscious like he's knocked, in, in yeah, whatever Yeah, he's way. knocked unconscious, and they have their dog, Mr. Ben. Who tries to help them? Yeah, tries and... to be a safe uh, savior, but just fails in that case because you know you gotta progress the plot. Um, and it's a little tiny dog. Yeah, but Mister, thank God, Mister Ben didn't. I was scared the entire movie that Mister Ben was gonna get killed. Yeah. So, spoiler: He doesn't. Which is good. Yeah. Um, and you see. Mr. Ben waking him up by just licking his face. But then he go Charlie goes back to Sam. And I was I was just thinking, I mean, how many hours away was this? Cuz it made it seem as if they were just like a half away, a half hour away or something. It didn't but it Sam makes it sound like it's a really long stretch of road that goes for mile like hundreds of miles or something, and it's like you cannot drift off between these two Joshua trees. But he goes back to Sam and tells you know and says you know my girlfriend Rachel has been kidnapped, and then that's when Sam tells him the story about all these previous women that have been taken throughout the years and then he talks about his ex or the woman that he loved yeah basically (laughs) not his ex he has clippings of a bunch of different people including clara who's the person that we learned that he loses um 
I don't know how many years ago, 50 years ago or something like that. Yeah, it seemed like when he was the same age as Charlie and Rachel. Yeah, because we do see Clara later on and she hasn't aged based off of the picture in the newspaper clipping. And yeah, he talks about the road within the road and how you can't fool hell and somehow he knows all these rules it's, about how it works and I don't know how he knows the rules. Maybe he went there and came back, but it seems like you can't come back unless you outrun the helicopter. But maybe he knew that because the car that he lends to Charlie has that turbo booster yeah, but then how did he learn to put the... Unless he asked the mechanic slash, spoiler alert, devil man <laughs> to fix it. That's... it's. There's just a lot of stuff that just doesn't get explained well enough. Yeah, it, that's thing. why I was like, how did... He knew about all this stuff, but how would he have known unless he's been there himself, but he had to have escaped... And there's also this whole weird time paradox that doesn't make sense either, where he's saying basically that you have 24 hours to go in and come back, but also he says you're going to be stuck there if you're not back by sunrise, which is completely contradictory to the 24-hour timeline. And then you see this teddy bear at the clock that just happens to be in the car that was a possession of Rachel's, and he sets the clock on the teddy bear. And that is... Yeah. The whole time thing is useless it doesn't come into play at all other than that charlie wants to hurry to get to rachel which he would have wanted to do anyway and so it's not like he's referencing the bear or we see the bear ticking down no but there's like a race against time at the end when there is also a literal race so it doesn't it's another like dynamic and cliche that just doesn't need to be there it's and then when he is in hell, it makes it look like he's been there at least a couple of days. Yeah, it does. Because his, his car, um, you know, he gets into all these random kerfuffles, I guess. That You have the, the motorcycle gang, and they ruin his car, and then he has to get it fixed, and he's going from place to place trying to find Rachel. He finds Rachel, but then, you know, she gets taken again. It's It seems as if two, three days have passed, at least. Yeah, and it's tough to tell, because I don't think the, the sky or the light ever changes once they're in hell. I think yeah. It's, it's constant, you know. But when they do come back, it seems as if five minutes have passed because the cop that is chasing Charlie is still there wondering, where did this guy go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when he's trying to go back into hell, basically what he has to do is do like a Back to the Future type of a thing where he has to get the car into a really high speed and then believe really hard that it's real and then he can (laughs) as long as he's in between these two trees and he believes really hard um and goes fast enough then he will open the portal to hell and go to this road within the road and so there's a cop car a non-hell cop car chasing him because he's speeding along the highway and then he's able to escape um eventually from that cop but first he gets pulled over by the cop and, That's almost, what, okay, and, and then, almost kills him with the shotgun that Sam gives him. Um, 
according yeah. to this lore that Sam has, that why is that normal cop car there? Because I thought anyone who stops between these two Joshua trees gets sent to hell. So why is that, unless the cop car caught him before the first Joshua tree and was chasing him throughout that stretch of road, because that non-hell cop, the regular cop, pulls him over between the two trees, wouldn't the hell cop come and take both of them? But it's... No, because they're not virgins. Okay. They're not virgin women. So if you're a guy it's driving... Really, that's the main concern, I think. Yeah, okay, if you're a, so, but I think, so if you're just a virgin woman, you're going to get taken. Yeah. That's, but Sam doesn't really say that. I, yeah, I don't know if he does. He I just think, says, I think don't stop between these two trees or this helicopter's going to come and get you. Yeah, because he might not know the full situation as to why all those women are taken, but. I mean, from what we saw, it was only women who were taken, and then later on, I forget who it was, might have been the motorcycle gang leader. Yeah. Um, Why? I know. He might have said. Okay, because I was thinking Royce was, I mean, because Royce wants to come back too, but the devil or Beazel, whoever, (laughs) is like, no, it's not your time yet. It's and so I confusing. still didn't understand why. No, because like you get all these scenes with Royce, and he's making deals with people. Like, okay, well, if I do this for you, then you're gonna owe me. And you know, he does the same thing with the hell copy. He does the same thing with Charlie. And you know, there's this backstory there that we just never learn. And some of the deals that he makes never materialize. No, either. it's. I don't know, some parts of this movie just feel unfinished or just not fully thought out. We don't know how these people got there besides... And then um, the girlfriend, Clara, did Beazle just make a deal with him to say, hey... You can have this one? You can have this woman as your girlfriend instead of the devil taking her as his wife. Yeah, like maybe like they that could was have had the deal, quote unquote. Yeah, that could have been like one of the scenes. Like, okay, well, you have to stay here. You can't go back, but in exchange, here's you had, Clara. You, here's Clara as your girlfriend. Maybe, but this is us like trying to fix movies again. Right? Yeah, but I mean, we're also I'm also trying to make sense of their backstories and why yeah. they're there. All we know is that Clara at some point basically says that she chose to remain. Yeah, that she the, had the option and she chose to stay. And then I was thinking, how many? Because uh, Sam shows other pictures of women. What happened to those women? We don't see them. I mean, I don't know. We didn't get really good long looks at them. Maybe some of those women They're, were in the cages at the Hoppus Casino or somewhere else in hell. I don't. So know. the devil is just looking for his perfect bride, and the bride happens to be Rachel. Yeah. And. Um, she has it like Clara had the choice to stay. There's a point where it's like, do you want to be a mother who's constantly pregnant all the time and you know dealing with screaming kids, or do you want to follow your dreams and do this? That's there's like a point where they do that with Rachel, where she's in the back of the hell cop's car, and it's like those TVs you see in the back of a cab. 
Yeah. It's, where it's... it shows her looking miserable and pregnant making pizza. <laughs> or do you want to be this musical genius who plays the violin in front of millions of people and becomes like super famous type of thing? Yeah, I predicted the future with, you know commercials and tvs inside of the cars <laughs> and we didn't even thing. know i mean because when we see in the beginning of the movie charlie and rachel are using a pizza delivery car to go to vegas mm-hmm. is it her car i think it's his i think that's his job but okay this is at the very end at the end credits she opens multiple pizza locations okay and he becomes like a he he invented the highway to hell video game oh yeah that's right so yeah maybe it's her car but he's why would he be driving then i don't know because the man always drives i have no idea it's true every single time (laughs) um (laughs) that's what i was thinking how did she just become the pizza entrepreneur I don't know yeah they threw this weird like text epilogue at the end after everything and it's again meant to be satirical I think but it just comes off as weird more than anything okay yeah uh, yeah, we're, there's there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in this, and a bunch where of where we just characters. don't. And it, I mean, and we can get don't... into um, Adam because he was also taken, like his family was taken. Uh, the entire family was killed except for him, and he was taken. And why we don't fully know, but Adam is there with Bezel, who we learn. Well, yeah, I don't know. At the very beginning, we see him as a mechanic who helps Charlie's car get fixed and so he's you know they're he, helping charlie in multiple different ways he heal, and giving him yeah he heals hints. cars and people too because he ends up healing charlie at some point and then you have adam there is his little like sidekick he's yeah. like 10 years old practically and yeah you just don't know the backstories of these people but at some point adam helps charlie because he wants to also escape hell and so there's like a promise for that. And then at some point when we learn that Bezel is actually the devil as well, mm-hmm. um, Adam makes a different promise to Bezel to save Charlie because he got shot in Hoffa's casino and he's going to die unless Adam uses his special powers to save him. But he will only be allowed to do so if he stays with Bezel slash devil. So I don't, I don't know. <laughs> He's yeah. He's he's there to help. He loves the kid. He loves hugging. He hugs. He hugs like <laughs> they make this promise to each other. Charlie's like, I'm gonna come back, and when I get Rachel, I'm gonna take you as well, back to <laughs> yeah to yeah, Earth. We're gonna, we're gonna or away, all three of us of will go together. Or all four because the dog is there too. Yeah, Mr. Ben's there too. So that's another whole wrinkle in the whole situation, I guess. Um, there's a couple of key scenes I don't think we've talked about yet. One is when Charlie first meets Rachel again or, or gets to her again. Mm-hmm. 
she is extremely like sexually charged all of a sudden and basically like hey yeah come make love to me right now like forget about the fact that i'm tied up in this bed and don't worry about saving me just make love to me mm-hmm. and then it turns out that it's like this the succubus succubus demon. gargoyle looking thing yeah. with super floppy titties <laughs> yeah um and he only sees that in the mirror reflections when he looks at Rachel yeah. in person, then it's Christy Swanson. But when he looks into a mirror, he sees this gargoyle for a yeah. long time and then whatever. Um, and then they have a nice little fight scene there. And, and You know, the the effects in this movie are pretty cheesy at times, but also, like, they're not nearly as bad as what we saw, like, something like 976 Evil 2 in terms of the computer graphics. It's, it's a good... It's, yeah, it's not, like, Terror Within 2. Terror Within 2 is, like, the worst... I don't know, com- monster makeup I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, like the gargoyle, I, I, I'm calling it a gargoyle, I don't know if it actually is. But the, the demon. The demon I, thing is, is um, it, it looks good, and the, the scene where he gets shot is also interesting. He shoots, him, shoots the demon into the bed, and it, it falls through the bed into this hole of fire. Like pit of hell. And that's how they get rid of that. Uh, but it, you know, there's it's a good scene ahead of time. There's not a lot of gore in this movie, I will say. There's that, there's there's also that one other weird scene with the shotgun comes into play, where uh, Lita Ford makes her cameo mm-hmm. appearance, and this is basically the only time she's acted, aside from being in the Brutal Legend video game, you know, in the early two thousands. Um, and I guess she had a cameo in Herman's Head TV show where she played herself. But this is the only time where she's, you know, playing someone other than herself. She plays the hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. Um, heavy metal artist, Lita Ford. And this is such a weird scene that didn't make sense either. Where, okay, Charlie's like basically trying to ask for directions to try to find Rachel... And she's like, okay, well, I can help you if I if I get to come with you. And, like, basically trying to act, you know, like a prostitute in a sense. Or, you know, like, hey, come with me and I'll yeah, do all kinds of things to you. And then, like, it just completely switches gears and, like, but you have to have room for two. And then all of a sudden, like, this guy who's, you know, the yeah, ice cream so man comes weird. through. And it's, like, this goofy clownish music all of a sudden. And, like, he hops on the car and just, like, goes wacko and, and and so like charlie's like driving it's this just car like, like a, this big guy it's kind of like all these band all these people who supposedly charlie thinks he has trust in turn into you know people who are untrustworthy i mean you're in hell you're you in probably hell. shouldn't trust anyone but it's, it's such a weird weird scene is so like the I forget what the ice cream man says. He says something like, I'm going <laughs> to scoop your brains. Yeah, it's something really cheesy. It, like, I'm going to scoop your brains. And then, like, Charlie takes the shotgun and shoots a hole through his head. But it's not gory. It's like... It looks like paper mache was yeah. blown apart. <laughs> yeah, like, there's a giant hole like a cartoon. And yeah, it, yeah. It, so, I don't know. It, it's that kind of weird effects and so yeah most of it's like miniatures and things like that with the set pieces that look the best in this whole thing i will say that they do also do a very good job with the practical effects of the hell car itself the cop car yeah because they have like cool. flames and smoke coming out of the car and that's not digital that's not a computer thing that's 
that's something that they created and, and were able and, to spot and out. And they show the, uh, like, the when you go inside the car, the locks lock and the handles are removed. Yeah. You see it, like, digitally get removed so you can't escape yeah. in any can't way. can't open the door from the outside because, yeah, he has, like, some device that removes the handles from the doors. So there's some interesting stuff in there for sure. Um, and the gargoyle whatever fight I think is probably the better one. And then you have uh, the other key scene. You have him going to hell through... Like Cerberus. Yeah, the Cerberus. Okay, the Cerberus. Going to like River Styx to actually find the real Rachel. The effects around the Cerberus scene were bad. The stop stop motion Cerberus was I mean, not fluid at all. I was okay with it because I knew this is just like a B movie and they did the best they could. I guess <laughs> it just needed a little bit more. I don't know. It needed to. It was too staggered. You needed to have more keyframes of animation if you want. It it looked about. very. Was it claymation? Because it looked very clay like to me. But I don't. Uh, know. it was definitely some sort of miniature. I don't know if it was clay or not, but it was some sort of physical object that they were moving but they just right. needed to make smaller movements and make it a little bit more smooth and then the the effect it's where mr like, ben does his thing where yeah. he distracts Cerberus by lifting Peeing. his leg to pee <laughs> the lifting the leg motion Looked was fake. so bad it was like worse than and you thought your parents were with that leg coming up. yeah and, and they couldn't have the real dog just lift a leg and no pee. but i don't know it can't be that hard to train a dog to lift its leg, right? Even if it's not peeing, because I don't know if you see the pee. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. It, it was just a really bad effect. But anyway, Mr. Ben gets his hero mo- moment again, where he's yeah, able Mr. to ben s- is distract Cerberus, there. which allows Charlie to pass by, and then Mr. Ben goes back to the car to wait for them, basically, is <laughs> what happens there. Uh, and then, yeah, he's taken by... Uh, Charon, is that how you pronounce that? I'm assuming Car- Charon or Charon. Charon, Charon uh, you know, who's the, like a the boat, like in Greek, yes. Greek mythology, like the ferryman. Yeah, Hades. the ferryman. There you go. That's the right word. <laughs> like carries souls. Like you would have to know all these mythological, like the river sticks. You would have to know all these things about you know going to hell. You so, have the ferryman going to Hades carrying the souls so yeah to, he, he makes a deal know, to, <laughs> he makes a deal with Charon to bring him and Charon's like yeah I can do that but you don't get reverse passage on my boat um, but he eventually finds yeah, Rachel and Rachel helps him out by going through this <laughs> this like cave <laughs> yeah there's some secret underground cave after they get away and like the cave they're being chased and you know they're coming at a dead end basically just a really long cliff and she's like just go faster trust me there's like a hole on the other side that you can make through and that effect made me laugh just the way the car went from one side to the other side yeah it's like a bad green screen of like a hot wheels car yeah going into a a hole yeah (laughs) But they make it, I don't know, there's, then it sort of culminates in this whole scene where they, um, so Satan basically lets them go, right? So he, Charlie finds Rachel, 
he she's dressed in white and playing violin and, and seems pretty happy but she does want to go home they have the conversation where Beazle does the reveal to say hey look it's you know well actually he doesn't do the reveal at that point he's Satan Beazle is dressed up as Satan or like he's revealing his true form and they have a conversation and like hey we want to go home we, you know I don't want to be staying here and Satan's like yeah okay cool that's fine well, and then he sends the cops after him after they leave well cause he knows that they pro- they will not escape. Yeah, like, he doesn't yeah, think he'll actually do, make it. Yeah, 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 yeah. he thinks he's that just they're going to fail them. at all times. He's just toying with them. And he's, yeah, he he's enjoying it because when they do, when Beazle is revealed as Satan, that's when Charlie makes this bet where we'll race the hell cop and if we win we will escape and you'll allow it and yeah. if not then we'll stay here and Rachel even sweetens the deal for the for the devil saying and then I'll agree to be your wife and you know he's like okay go ahead because he thinks they're gonna fail mm-hmm. and then Royce and his gang well, let me let me quickly step back for just one second and say that after they escape Satan's mansion or whatever it is that you want to call it, they go to Beazle's place for help. Like that's their first stop, and that's when Beazle, that's when it's revealed he's Satan. Yeah, Beazle's there with Adam, and it's revealed like, hey, yeah, no, I'm the same guy. I can't believe you didn't catch on by now. And by the way, Adam's staying here because he made a deal with me afterwards. Yeah. So that's that's that whole thing. But yeah, so Royce is mad that he doesn't get a chance to race and go back up as well. And so he just decides to join the race without even, like, talking to Satan or whatever. He's like, yeah, I'm going to race too, and I'm going to make it to this portal first. Yeah, but then he's, yeah, he's trying to make Charlie lose, so if Royce wins, then he can escape. uh, He's trying to ruin Charlie's chances of winning. Yeah. Because he wants to go through. So I guess it's whoever goes through the portal first Fast, wins and gets to go wins. through and whatever. But Clara sabotages the whole thing because he, she takes her She has like a change scarf. of heart. I think she just always wanted to stay there. Did she? That, that thought... was like the whole thing of like, you know, you get this choice and sometimes... I, think, I thought she had a change of heart because she... When, okay, there was a point where we didn't talk about where... Charlie's trying to find Rachel. He tries to do... He tries to go through a shortcut, quote-unquote, and that's when Clara stops him saying, you can't take this shortcut because you'll get in trouble. You're going to get lost. Lost, or... Yeah. Yeah, at some point you're going to be offered a choice and you don't know which one you're going to And that's take. when she talks about Sam. Yeah, and, and basically what she's Her saying is Sam. like she realized that she doesn't need Sam anymore, and so that's why she decided to stay there. But then she also has a change of heart for Charlie and Rachel, realizing that's how her and Sam were. And then before they leave, Clara was like, say hi to Sam for me. Oh, well, maybe it's like a little bit of both because she realizes that she didn't want to go back up there and be like too late for her. Yeah. And also that she wanted to stay. And so like she blindfolds Royce to sabotage things and make it so that he has to crash his motorcycle because he can't see anything. Yeah. So it's probably like a little bit of both. Yeah. It's like she she knows that her place is there in hell. Yeah, she realize like she doesn't she realized she made the wrong choice, but she's fine with that choice now. Like she's yeah. made her bed and now she's got a lie in it. And then Royce gets impaled with his own sword, which is a whole thing that was 
also not really fully explained. Like it, it was like yeah. a whole thing in the movie. So do they die really, though? Because whatever. then they do. No, like, they don't die. Okay, yeah, because they do like a close up and they start twitching again, as if they they're gonna come back to life again. Yeah, it's it's eternal damnation, right? So so they just come like they can die but they'll just come back to life again yeah. like they just never die and yeah live there's this. no way the devil will let them it's off ca- this is like purgatory for them but charlie wins the race because okay they're trying to shoot the cop shoot the car and shoot the eyes specifically because at some point someone learns we don't know who yeah or i, I forget who it's says just, it, Does it i adam thought it was rachel it? i thought it was oh yeah adam adam says shoot him in the eyes because that's will kill him so adam probably knows because yeah, um, he's been around long enough he's been around and beazel probably made him the hell cop yeah or something so they're trying to shoot him in the eyes they're trying to shoot him in general with the shotgun while they're racing they drop the bullet and you know so rachel's shoot you know searching around for the bullet on on the floor and accidentally flips the switch which which is the second thing that sam says as as charlie's driving off and be like by the way there's something really special about this car Mm -hmm. couldn't hear it didn't have a chance to explain um and it's basically a nitro boost he gets to Fast and the Furious. Yeah, it's like Fast and the Furious Na- all of a sudden. Nas uh, boost and they and they get out of hell. Man. But five minutes later, the hell cop follows them. Yeah, and then they're finally able to. Well, okay, so he there's like a tussle between Charlie and, and the and cop. the real cop that was waiting there for him. And then uh, and then Rachel is able to like come from behind with the shotgun and shoot him in the eyes and. He explodes real good. Yeah, and then that's it's the, the laser end of that. eyes effect. Yeah, first. and explodes. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. And then the makeup, everything's happy, and, yeah. then, and then there's the text epilogue. Yeah, there's a little, there's a little text saying, you know, they got married. Charlie made this Highway to Hell video game and is like rich from it, and Rachel has opened several pizza shops. And then Adam was able to go to his grandparents or his aunt and uncle or something in Ohio. Because there was a point in the movie where he's like, yeah, I have family in Ohio or something like that. Like, he... I thought he was going to stay with them as, like, their adopted child or something. Evidently not. Oh, yeah, we forgot to mention that Adam was able to get in the car with him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, get that from the end. And then, you know, Mr. Ben also helps, and Mr. Ben is with them when they come back. Yeah. I I, I do like the hell cop. The makeup? The makeup. Yeah, so he's... I don't know what's written on it, because they don't really linger on his face all that much. It's kind of like these uh, old runes. That's what I was also looking at. Yeah, it's like runes and certain words. Some of them look like like names of sins, I think, are in there and stuff like that. If you knew that type of... You you would have to do a screenshot or pause on his face, and it probably does mean something. I know one thing's for sure that's on his face that means something I'll talk about when we get to the awards. Okay. Um... But that's the movie. I mean, it's it was fascinating. I wish it made more sense. But I mean, I don't know. It, it was an enjoyable time. It it really reminded me a lot of Motorama. 
it reminded yeah, me a I, little bit of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in that, you know, or I'm sorry, Bogus Journey in that, you're, you know, you're going to hell and you have this weird satirical bend to it and, you know. Yeah, to come back. And all this kind of stuff. So it's like this weird mix of like Bill and Ted, Motorama, and Drop Dead Fred. Should we talk about casting crew? Because there's a lot. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about some of them, but not all of them. We've already talked about Ate de Jong with Drop Dead Fred. Brian Helgeland. He's an Oscar-winning screenwriter writer for L.A. Confidential. Uh, he's nominated for Mystic River as well. He also has a Razzie win for The Postman, which was the same year as L.A. Confidential. So he won an Oscar and a Razzie in the same year. He also wrote the original 976 Evil, so he is credited for the characters in the sequel that we just watched recently. He's done The Knight's Tale, Conspiracy Theory 42, and also Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4. Patrick Bergen, we've seen before, he plays Beazle slash the devil. We'll see him again in 1991's Robin Hood, but not Prince of Thieves, the other one. But we saw him in Sleeping with the Enemy previously. Adam Stork played Royce. For some reason, Beazle and Royce are the top two credited people. I don't know why they get top two. I think because... Patrick Bergen's probably the bigger name at this point. At that point. But, I mean, Christy Swanson's a big name at that point. Yeah, because, I mean, when did... Okay, Buffy Buffy the Vampire Slayer came out the next year. A little bit year, after, yeah. 92. But she was kind of well-known, because she did, like, Flowers in the Attic, but I don't... She, yeah, maybe she didn't really... have any major... I don't know. So she was in, like, Deadly Friend. She was in Flowers of the Attic. I know she's... She had, like, small roles in Ferris Bueller, of course. Yeah, and, like, Pretty in Pink. Pink. So I, I guess know. Buffy is what made her yeah, really yeah, that's famous. That's what really made her big. Yeah. Um, and then we'll see her again in 1991's Mannequin on the Move. But Adam Stork as Royce, uh, he's been in things like Search for Tomorrow, which was a 1980s uh, soap opera, I believe. Mystic Pizza, he was in Mystic Pizza. Yeah, he's Death the boyfriend in, of. He's the boyfriend in Mystic Pizza of Julie Roberts' love yeah. interest in that. Uh, Death Becomes Her in The Stand. Yeah, he was in The Stand. But, I mean, The Stand was after was this. After. I mean, he had some recognition, but... But it's weird not... to put Royce over yeah. Charlie Sykes, who's in virtually every single scene. Chad Lowe. Or even The Stillers. I don't know, but I mean... They, <laughs> I understand very... why they aren't, but yeah. Uh, Chad Lowe played Charlie Sykes. He's an Emmy winner for his role in Life Goes On, where he plays a, a victim of of AIDS mm-hmm. uh, nominated for the CBS school break special no means no he's in the 1991 movie captive he's in inconvenient woman miniseries he was on Spencer Melrose place pretty little liars and Supergirl most recently Pamela Gidley played Clara she'll be in the 1991 movie Liebstrom she was also in movies like thrashing she was Cherry 2000 in the movie Cherry 2000 mm-hmm. Twin Peaks fire walk with me she's in that as well um, also TV show Strange Luck and The Pretender and she actually recently passed away a couple of years back as well Jarrett Ledin played Adam he's in the 1991 movie Servants of Twilight he's been on uh, TV shows like Hey Arnold Freaks and Geeks and also an episode of WIOU which we've talked about on this podcast before CJ Graham played Sergeant Bedlam which is the official name of Hell Cop He's probably yeah. best known for his work as playing Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. He's also in a, I think, a kickstarted spin-off movie called Vengeance back in 19, uh, I'm sorry, 2019, where he plays Elias Voorhees, 
and he'll also be in the upcoming sequel to that movie. Yeah, but most I, of his work is not mm-hmm. acting. He was a nightclub manager and, and worked as like a casino manager for most of his life, in addition to going to conventions for Jason Voorhees' appearances. Anyway, apparently people like his Jason to a degree. Yeah, I just I don't know. <laughs> and he gets to do that stuff again. Richard Farnsworth played Sam, Oscar nominated for Comes a Horseman back in 1978, and also nominated for The Straight Story, which was his last film role. He is a spirit win for that same production. Golden Globe nominee for The Gray Fox and Chase. Um, he's also been in things like The Natural, The Two Jakes, Misery, the 1994 Lassie, Anna Green Gables. Longtime stuntman even before he started acting, and he has a long acting career as well. But yeah, he, he passed away uh, from a self-inflicted gunshot after a terminal cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So Straight Story was his last role. Talk about Lita Ford, Gilbert Gottfried, and Mira, uh, Jerry Stiller, famous comedians from the 1950s and 60s for their Stiller and Mira comedy duo. Uh, they've been on all kinds of TV appearances. Anne Mira is Emmy nominated for her role in Kate Machine, which is a 1975 TV show. Archie Bunker's Place, she has two nominations for that and also a guest appearance on Homicide. Golden Globe nominated for Rhoda. Tony nominated for Anna Christie. Um, so she's been in things like The Greatest Gift from 1954 to 1955 for 224 episodes. She was in Fame, she was in ALF, she was in King of Queens with her husband, Jerry Stiller. And uh, they were both some of the original Compass players. Jerry Stiller, of course, we know as Emmy nominated from Seinfeld and also as a Grammy nominee for a spoken word album in 2001, which is about her, his life with uh, Anne. Uh, and then the last person I want to talk about here is uh, Kevin Peter Hall, who played Caron. This was his last film role, unfortunately. Uh, he is a very, very tall actor, seven foot two inches tall. He's been in things like Predator as the Predator, Harry and the Hendersons as Harry. He's been in Pig Top Pee Wee, um, and then um, 227, uh, the the TV show 227. Mm-hmm. He was on that where he met and married his co-star Alana Reed Hall on the show and also in real life. Um, people may know her as Olivia from Sesame Street. So. This was his last movie because he passed away in April of 1991. Uh, he was in a car accident and got a bad blood transfusion, which gave him the AIDS virus, HIV AIDS, and passed away. That's what, uh, yeah. That's what that one after-school special I told you about that was on HBO. Okay. About this, that little kid who got a AIDS and it was through... A blood trend like that was a that was very common yeah a common and, thing where and then i know around that time they banned th- this this yeah, is they, like they became very very controlling of how the blood supply yeah i mean they didn't course. want any gay people basically to give blood because of this yeah um, they kind of i don't want to say kind of they went overboard with the the regulations and the predictions yeah, of this but, yeah um it's not i mean not all whatever <laughs> it's not all gay people had aids but it's just like they banned gay people from giving blood for a long time yeah I, I, that just got reversed what like less than a decade ago yeah so that's yeah um 
so that's that's the crew. It's a, it's a large crew. We kind of passed over some names, and we talked about some along the way, but that's what we got. On to the awards really quickly here. We got the Academy of Science Motion Picture Saturn Awards. It was nominated for the best makeup for Steve Johnson, but he lost to Batman Returns. Again, this was, you know, released in the stateside in 1992. Um, on the Hellcop's chin are the letters SJ plus LQ, which stand for Steve Johnson, the makeup artist, and Linnea Quigley, his wife. Hmm. So, little homage. So we know one thing on, on his mask and what it means. This movie was also nominated for the Fangoria Chainsaw Award for the Best Independent or Directed Video Film, but it lost to The Resurrected, which is also on our list. A lot of the directed video films from that year are on our 1991 Movie Rewind list. So The Resurrected will be something we will watch at some point. That's it for the awards. I did have a little bit of box office. It's 900, I'm sorry, $9 million budget. Um, they released it in theaters to some degree, and it made a whopping $26,000. So, hopefully it did okay on video to recoup some of that money, because that's a big budget. Move on to true crime and pop culture? Yeah, so, this movie was released on the 4th of July, and on TV... Uh, there was a Disney, this was on CBS, a Disney's Great American Celebration, and I think I found the YouTube of it. It was a Walt Disney World 4th of July special, and I think it's the same thing that was on CBS, but it was, you know, the Disney parade, you know, you're in Florida, it's Disney World. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's it's a it's really long. I didn't watch the whole thing, but it starts with the the Disney parade, and then it ends with you know fireworks. So I have that on YouTube, the clip. Okay. But then all on TV was just they also had the Boston Pops fireworks spectacular, yeah. the 18th annual. I tried to find that one on YouTube, and I couldn't find it. Only 18 at that point. That's wild. Yeah. And um, we didn't talk about this, but the score for the movie is really good. Uh, yeah. And I just want to say... Hidden Faces was the band that did the music. Yeah, the music. But then the score is by Tangerine Dream. I just wanted to mention that. Partially. Partially, yeah. Mainly because Tangerine Dream did another a score of one of my other favorite movies, Legend. So... And then when I was looking up the music for this, all I found was music for... They did a lot of scores for other movies besides Legend and this. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, on Spotify, they there there is an album of theirs where it's all the scores they did for... Or all the songs for the scores that they did for movies. And then they also did the soundtrack for Grand Theft Auto Five. So okay. it's a lot of their electronic music. It's on one of those stations. Yeah. And moving on, t- I haven't talked about this in a while, but going on to the Billboard charts, I'm going to do the bottom five as of July 6th, 1991, because I don't think there's going to be another July 4th 
release because it, it was a Thursday, so we we never know. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> but a few there's at least three or four songs on the bottom five that I've never heard of. At number one hundred is "Where the Streets Have No Name" by the Pet Shop Boys. We've talked about that before. This is like the very end. They were seven weeks on the chart, and they peaked at number seventy two for that song. The at number ninety, let's see, yeah, number ninety nine and number ninety eight are both new releases. Number ninety nine is a song called "Got a Love for You" by this dance group, like called Jomanda. I think I'm saying it's J O M A N D A. Jomanda. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they're a house. They're an all female house music vocal trio from New Jersey and this song was number one on the dance the billboard dance charts for their hot dance club charts but it peaked at number 40 for the billboard hot 100 they have another song that came out in 1993 called don't you want me which is that became number one in the dance charts as well but they their first hit was a song called make my body rock and that appeared on the grand theft auto san andreas soundtrack (laughs) and i mean i listened to all three songs and i like them all they they were only together from 1988 until 1994 they had two albums and this song the one that is number 99 was on their 1990 album called someone to love me number nine number 98 <laughs> so i've never heard of this song this is a debut called shake it like a white girl by Jesse James. Have you heard of this person? No. <laughs> or this song? No, not until you were playing it before this. So, okay, I went on a rabbit ho- down a rabbit hole about this guy. So his real name is Jesse Itzler. He's a Jewish born. He's a white guy, and he's a he was a rapper. In the late 80s, early 90s, he co-wrote a lot of songs with Tone Loke, which you can tell. Okay. This song sounds very much okay. like Wild Sang or something <laughs> like that. Um, he had another song that was not on the Billboard 100. It was called College Girls Are Easy, which I guess the this song, Shake It Like a White Girl and... College Girls Are Easy were really good songs that were played in clubs around the early 90s. I mean, we wouldn't know because we were like 10. Mm-hmm. And his this single eventually became number 74 on the Billboard 100. And it was <laughs> featured on the soundtrack of the movie White Chicks. Mm. which I've only seen I haven't seen that movie in like 25 I don't know then like 20 I don't know that movie came out that movie came out in 2004 so I've only seen it once and that was like 20 years ago 
1992, he also wrote and sang the song for the New York Knicks, their theme song called Go New York Go. And he also did a bunch of original songs. One of them, what he won an Emmy for, the song is called I Love This Game, which was also a theme song for Inside the NBA. I don't know. You would probably know more than Inside me. Inside the NBA was, uh, I'm assuming you're talking about the, the TV show Inside the NBA. Yeah. He, the song I Love This Game won an Emmy. So inside the NBA was a like Saturday morning, like late Saturday morning TV show, um, with like Ahmad Rashad and Summer Sanders or Willow Bay. Okay. And, and uh, yeah, it was. It was like this week in baseball for the NBA, so it was like a staple of Saturday morning TV for me for a long time. So I am aware of that song. I can't really remember how it goes right now, but I definitely have heard it before it was on that show. Okay, and then he also did a lot of songs for like Foot Locker and Coca-Cola and now he's an entrepreneur and he's currently married to the the owner and founder of Spanx her name is Sarah Blakely but he's an entrepreneur where he um, co-founded Marquis Jet, one of the largest private jet companies in the world. Okay. He created the 100 Mile Group, which is a brand incubator and accelerator. And he also has a partnership with Z- the Zyco Coconut Water, Z-I-C-O. Okay. And he also is like a co-owner of the Atlanta Hawks. Hmm. I mean, this guy, I, that's when we were getting ready yeah. <laughs> for this. I was like, wait, this guy has, is doing a lot. He's, he's becoming a mogul. Yeah, he's, he's making his money. Yeah. So, I mean, he's just lived a life and he's like 50 years old or something. I just thought that was super interesting. But that's Jesse James. <laughs> and so at number 97 is a song called Written All Over Your Face by an R&B group called The Rude Boys. I may or may not have talked about... Rude Boys sounds familiar to me. They were just a group from Ohio, and they only had a couple of songs. This song also peaked at on number one on the R&B charts. And they had another single called Are You Lonely For Me? And they only have three albums. This song, Written All Over Your Face, won the Billboard Music Award for R&B Single of the Year. And so number 96, we've talked about this before. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. It's a song called Blind Faith by Warrant. I'm like, I feel like we've talked about Warrant before and this song. But that was, this is the second week on the chart, and it peaked at number 96, so it stayed at this spot for a while. Okay. And then that's it. So we'll move on to rankings and ratings. Where on your 1 to 5 star scale are you going to put Highway to Hell? Um, I'm going to give this a 2. Yeah. Um... 
I like Motorama. I was comparing this to Motorama, and I think I gave Motorama too. I can't remember anymore. I don't remember it either. I, I feel but like I like Motorama more than. I mean, this is I. This is a. This is kind of like the like nine seven six evil two or even body parts where this is a good movie. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Or Motorama, I liked, but it's we just didn't know a lot of the lore or the backstory, and I was getting confused. Yeah, I think with the better script, with like more explanation, maybe a couple fewer characters. I don't know what it needs. Some sort of tweak to make it better. On my zero to four star scale, I'm gonna say it's a two and a half. I don't remember why I put Motorama either. I know I ranked Motorama a little bit low, and like it's one of those movies where I'm thinking. Like yeah, Motorama, it should have gone higher because it's it's sticking in my head a lot more. I'm like, if if I had to recommend a movie to people that they that I know that they of? would have never seen or heard of from this podcast, Motorama is like one of the top five I would mention. Yeah, like I'm, like I don't know if we should start changing things, but I feel like because I don't. Well, I think that's. I don't want to go back and change things because we didn't know. I think you should change the uh, "Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead" score to a four. Yeah, (laughs) based off of how much you. Because I always compare everything to "Don't Tell," "Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead." And in my mind, I'm thinking like maybe change the ratings a little bit, but at the same time, this is why we have the question: Every movie is worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Because it's not always. A correlation you know like a bad movie could get a low rating it could get a high rating if it's like produced well potentially you know like there are like three star movies i would never want to watch again but there's also like half star movies that are fun enough that i would and so you know that's sort of why we also have that question of would you watch this again and i would i would watch this again yeah and if someone gave us the rights to do a double feature at some movie theater it would be motorama and this movie i think it would be yeah perfect perfect double billing yeah um if you out there want to watch highway to hell as this recording in september 2022 it's available on tubi digital rental vhs or dvd as always check your local listings you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms please remember to rate review subscribe and tell your friends you can email us at 1991 movie at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and YouTube. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes, um, rankings, <laughs> adjusted rankings, and more. Next week, we're going to continue our horror month with Dolly Dearest. It's available on Popcorn Flicks, VHS, or DVD. We will see you then. Thanks.